As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Paranormal Dimensions is a regular feature on Mondays on the Paranormal UK radio network. Any opinions or comments made by any guest are their own and they do not necessarily reflect any of the presenters or network's opinions. Yeah. 
everyone, this is Johnny Cobb, and you're listening to the Paranormal UK Radio Network, the UK's biggest paranormal radio network. And this is Paranormal Dimensions with David Young. You've also just listened to a tune called Remission, composed, produced, and performed by myself and Jerry McCoy. I sing all lead vocals and play all keyboards. Jerry McCoy plays all guitars and bass on our original songs. We invite you to visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Cobb and McCoy. That's facebook.com forward slash Cobb and McCoy. Thank you so very much. We sincerely hope you enjoy this show. Hello and welcome to the show. And thank you for that intro, Johnny. And best regards to you and Jerry. And good luck with your music. As you all may have gathered, this is going to be another mainly Rendlesham-themed uh, show uh, with a great guest named Ed Smith. Now, just before we introduce Ed, I'd just like to say thank you for the few messages and things that I've been getting. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is davidyoung2qn at yahoo.co.uk. That's davidyoung2qn, that's all one word, at yahoo.co.uk Okay, as I mentioned, we've got another Rendlesham UFO incident themed show today. It's 40 years since the Rendlesham incident, which happened in December 1980. We've got another great guest named Ed Smith, who has a book coming out later this year. Ed has been very supportive and a great friend over the years, so uh, I take great pleasure in welcoming Ed Smith. Hello, Ed. Welcome to the show. Hello, David. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to be here. I consider it an honor that thank you for inviting me. Well, it's an honor to have you on, actually. And uh, I will explain to everyone that uh, Ed has very kindly stepped in. Uh, we were going to do the show next week, but um, we're doing it a week early because uh, my, my, the guest that I was going to have on is not very well. So um, and Ed kindly stepped in very quickly. Well, not stepped in, but sort of stepped in earlier, I should, I should say, because <laughs> we were going to do well, it next week anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and I certainly hope that your uh, guest next week has a speedy recovery. Yeah, so do I. I'm sure it will be. But um, but anyway, thank you for that, Ed. I, I much appreciate that. And now, I think what we, we I think we're going to be speaking a lot about Rendlesham on this show, aren't we? Um, yes. Because I think that's kind of your your baby and your your main interest. And I know you've done a lot of work uh, on it. And, and and like me, we I, that's probably it's probably my um, forte, I, su- I suppose. Uh, unfortunately, which I got stuck with a little bit back, but uh, we won't go into that. <laughs> but, oh uh, <laughs> no! Not at all. You and I have been friends for quite a while now, and uh, I feel very comfortable. And we've always been. Um, on a very positive stance, so yeah, I mean uh, and that is really the way I, I see things. I, I try to be positive, and I, as I know you do. And um, unfortunately, a lot of I, negativity has come into the subject, as you know, yeah, along well, the way. Very true. I mean, uh, I have friends who have uh, done a lot of research uh, with uh, uh, not only Rendlesham, but um, the experience that we had. Um, I am showing my humanity right now. Uh, Roswell, New Mexico. So uh, I think the politics that were involved in, in both of these valid uh, cases uh, is extreme in, so, in some areas. But, of course, we won't be touching on that. There's so much exciting stuff that my research has unveiled uh, over the past five years. 
And um, I guess I, I'd say I'd come by it honest because um, I'm an experiencer myself. My first experience was at age 15. And certainly um, that was a case where it was a, a clear evening and starlit evening in Georgia. And my mom was in the laundry room. We were outside. I was watching the Echo satellite orbit the Earth. And that's when the craft showed up out of nowhere. And um, came in, uh, kind of hovered and zigzagged a lot over Dobbins Air Force Base. And then it went right back to space and left. And about all the time I had uh, in about five to eight seconds was to say, uh, Mom, hey, you might want to come here. <laughs> well, it's already gone by then. And then uh, I've had a total of four experiences, one with a being. So just to cut to the chase on that, I've always been interested. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm a firm believer that our universe is teeming with life and that we, we've been visited. There's way too much evidence to prove that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, and so when I got started, uh, when I recently retired, I decided to start writing and, and that's where, uh, the website came in to being, uh, Universal Digest. And then I, uh, was approached by quite a number of people. So I have spent the last six years, uh, conducting a, nor- a number of case studies and their time is averaged between anything from six months to over two years, my last being over two years. Uh, a lot of cross-referencing. I certainly have a penchant for telling the truth and to be objective. Um, <clears throat> as far as Rendlesham is concerned, David, is really if it hadn't been for uh, knowing uh, my friend Peter Robbins, I wouldn't be talking to you right now because uh, my wife is from England, and I, I asked him one day, Hey, I'd like to go see Rendlesham. And I really, you know, had no idea what was going to, uh, come about after the fact. And he says, sure. And he gave me a little contacts, my friend John Marsden and, uh, Dermot Coran, um, and a number of other people now who are quite incredible, um, came forward and, and John, even in 2016 and 2019, met me at the airport and, uh, has been a, just a very good friend. As a matter of fact, I consider him like a brother from a different mother because mm. he's very um, candid. Um, he's he's very meticulous. He's very intelligent. And he and Dermot and other people uh, that we'll discuss today were having some very incredible experiences, not only on the heels of interviews uh, that we conducted, um, as in, but, you know, since Rendlesham occurred on after Christmas in 1980, many more events have have occurred too. So yeah. Uh, well, before I've, before obviously before Rendlesham, the, the main event in the, which is 40 years ago now, isn't it? Um, yes. But obviously, it, there's a very busy area anyway. Oh, it, it still is, and uh, I have traveled extensively uh, both in 2016 and then in 2019. Uh, John met me in Norwich and picked me up, and we conducted a, over eight days of research, traveled over 1,600 miles, and conducted six different interviews. And um, that's what's going into the anthology uh, on the book that will be published here hopefully in, in probably within the next couple of months. Um, so... In 2019, that culminated the five-year research, and actually I had a bit more to continue in a couple of other places, including Las Vegas. So I've met quite a number of people that I find to be very interesting. And, uh, yes, 
the events of Rendlesham are quite real, and uh, a lot of people have witnessed these events at the same time. Mm, definitely. Um, I mean, what is your what is your favourite part? I don't know, for want of a better word, what's your favourite event? Was it the first night or Colonel Holt's night? Oh. Uh, <clears throat> Oh, you mean of Rendlesham's original event? Yeah, because um, I mean you've got obviously the first night with with um, Jim Peniston and John Burroughs, which was the the night where where the craft was supposedly landed in the woods, uh, and Jim supposedly touched it as he, he I believe he said he, he, he I believe him when he says he touched it. Um, that first night to answer your question, I found to be remarkable. Um, a number of people were involved, both in fire. Um, police and, you know, uh, other areas of law enforcement, enforcement as well as the military, uh, I, both RAF and Air Force, United States Air Force. A lot of people don't realize that for a number of years the, after World War II, the United States Air Force was um, uh, contracted at RAF Bentwaters when it was quite active. Mm. And uh, John, of course, and I have visited there, and um, Woodbridge, as of right now, is quite active. So, uh, but my take on the first night, yes, something definitely landed. Something definitely was there. Um, uh, John Burroughs, um, from what I've read and, and known too, um, had contact with the MOD, uh, realizing there were areas that were not being um, <clears throat> entertained, so to speak, and actually some things that came up missing. And then Jim Peniston, uh, I believe, yes, we're friends on Facebook. And uh remarkable book he's written and, you know, I'd say that that first night was stupendous. There was a lot going on. Yeah. So Jim, uh, Jim's book is very detailed, isn't it? It's sort of like minute, yeah. minute by minute. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and of course, a Lieutenant Colonel Halt at the time uh, came in on the second night, and I understood that uh, you, you, and uh, you had a conference, I believe, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, Chuck is a friend of mine. As you, as you know, he's actually stayed in my home. Um, Oh, excellent. Yeah, he, he's, um, yeah, I mean, I did arrange a conference last year before all this um, nonsense, <laughs> but uh, yes. I, I was actually hoping to get him back this year, but um, obviously we, we weren't allowed to, so um, unfortunately. In fact, he was, uh, I did a special with him just, just Christmas. Uh, I did a special interview with him. You may get a chance to have a listen to it if you do. It, it, was, oh, it, it was show number 99, um, oh. so it was only two shows ago. Um, and he, he sort of, um, I actually did put out the, the actual conference um, that he did, you know, the, the, the presentation that he did, along with the new interview. So they're all on the same show. But um, yeah, so I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I, was I was following that. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Colonel Holt's night. I, I mean, now you you called it the second night. Now there's some controversy there because some people called it. There was either the, the the second event or the second night. Now I I called it the second night, like you. Well, actually, uh, thank you. I I would I'd like to be a little bit more clear. Um, you know, when I first began, <clears throat> I promised Peter I wouldn't read his book uh, so that I wouldn't be influenced one way or the other, and he certainly appreciated it. Mm. And when I turned back to America, I wrote my first article. Uh, about uh, Rendlesham that I determined at the end that definitely was a valid event of um, crafts and, and certain things that cannot be explained. Uh, what I would like to, um, if not veering from that, it was the second day that, you know, I think the the, the 
plaster cast was made, etc., uh, where Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt saw, you know, the, the imprints into the soil, but perhaps not the actual craft that Jim and John saw. So uh, that uh, I know less about. And so really my research came not only about the extreme interest in what happened at Rendlesham, but what happened afterwards. And not just uh, the 26th, 27th, 28th of December in 1980, those three days, where people in various areas uh, saw things that they could not explain. And uh, one of those was my friend John's uh, brother, his older brother, David. And we had a, over a 20-minute uh, telephone interview over there <clears throat> when I was there. And it, too, was quite interesting. And... Um, you know, where he actually saw a craft that headed towards uh, Bentwaters. Uh, without getting too much into that detail, I really wanted to give the audience a, a little bit more knowledge about what happened with especially John Morrison and Dermot Coran. Uh, they were in Skywatch uh, situations with other friends and people uh, over the years, and they saw a number of events that could not be explained. And I would like to make this caveat um, in a positive nature that both John and Dermot at no point in time ever claimed that there were flying saucers or they people saw alien beings. Mm. Uh, they did see things, but it was in different times that I'll be happy to cover. But uh, as far as Rendlesham itself, um the books have already been written. Uh, the witnesses and the accountings have already been, um, you know, completed. Uh, my point was not even to be involved. But once I got back uh, from England my first time in 2016, I went, oops, I'm kind of involved in it now. And, you know, Peter was always very um, supportive. He's been a good friend for years, and he, he's, you know, his support has meant a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I've written and studied and researched a lot more as an ongoing uh, project since 2016. So, um, you know, there are things that some people even chided uh, witness accountings uh, that were even in uh, newspapers, etc. And without going into names of those, um, it was really quite a challenge to dig through all, the, not only the paperwork, but the witness accountings and, um, there's just, I still say that, uh, Rendlesham is active in a lot of different ways. So, uh, would you agree with that, Dan? I would, yeah. I've spent a few evenings down there in the, in the dead of night and I've seen some strange things, yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can walk around, you can take photos. I mean, I don't know how you feel about orbs and things like that, but you can take photos in the pitch dark. Most, 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 I mean, I've said this several times on the show. Uh, most, most photos come out just black. And then all of a sudden you'll get a few photos that come out with loads of orbs in them, you know. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree with you. And that or, or, mist, or misty shapes and things like that, you know. Well, yes, Dermot, uh, actually, uh, envisioned through his mirrors in the automobile, uh, something that was so frightening that he had to return to John's flat that was located, you know, at that time in, uh, Rendlesham. Mm. You know, it used to be rather a ghost town, and by the time that John uh, carted me around to there, I found it extremely interesting just to see the history itself of this this town of Rendlesham with all the work the United States Air Force did and then finally abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. a 
And my, my last trip in 2019, thanks to other good friends, especially John Saunders, who um, got me the, I guess, clearance, you'd say, to be able to see things in Rendlesham that very few people have gotten to see. Um, and that pretty much clinched it for me that obviously whoever these other entities are, and again, John and Dermot have never claimed that they saw other things except what they did claim they've seen. And I respect that because it, it, it keeps everything rather dogmatic, to the point, you know, and keeps it objective without speculations. And certainly there have been embellishments and speculations that have encountered there over the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, nothing landed at Cable Green. That's, that, that's a certainty. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm not saying it's not. It is. But, uh, you know, um, I, I just find it uh, – I didn't know it was going to be over 60 years of my life of this much uh, involvement, mm. but I, I'm better for it, and I hope that – what I do uh, publish and what goes out will be interesting uh, for all to read because it definitely came with a lot of uh, cross-referencing and research. Um, one interview uh, with one of John's friends is Peter Walnow. Uh, he and his son and daughter actually saw something in, I believe it was 1992 or 99, and uh, it was a triangle-shaped craft in an open field hovering at about, you know, 50 feet or so. And they actually watched it for over 10 minutes, and I've got that on a, a video interview. Mm. And Peter mm. is, um, I knew a good bit more about him. He's very objective. And uh, he and Derek and uh, Gordy and a few others that I, with whom I interviewed, really over the years got a little bit tired of being slipped to Mickey, as the English would say, yeah. uh, because of their accountings and their, their recounting of the events. Mm. I found it extremely interested and uh, interesting, and uh, I consider them to be real facts. So uh, we've mentioned it earlier, David. Um, I will say that as every time I turn around, I'm getting more testimonials coming out of the U.K. Uh, regarding their witness accounts. Um, <clears throat> so it's going into the book, and uh, I'm very much blessed and appreciated with the help so many people have um, given me over the last few years. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. Would you think it'll be out this year? Yes, it will. Um, I'm pretty much finished with it. It's uh, putting in some uh, finishing touches. Um, we'll have some grayscale images, um, you know, of the events that, that happened since then. I'm talking events that happened like in 95, mm. 1997, mm. 99, 92, um, and things that um, uh, Derek gave an excellent interview right there over the broads where he had the actual event earlier. These events, John was excellent. We've taken great strides at uh, performing GPS uh, verifications of directions, and John is an expert in that field, and that will also be in the book. Um, so uh, right now it's it's well over 125,000 words, and it covers a, a number of subjects. Wow. But it will lead off with Rendlesham, my latest uh, article, and then the previous article. And uh, then it'll move into some other accountings that, that people have given uh, to me over the years. Hmm. I should be looking forward to it anyway, Ed. And so, oh yeah, I, I know that. So we were talking a little bit before the show, and I'm perhaps I'm sure you'll be coming back on the show again a bit later with some other stuff uh, besides Rendlesham, because I know this is going to be uh, probably fill this whole show up about Rendlesham. <laughs> well, David, you know we've talked a good bit, and I I'm honoured. I actually humbled that. 
you've taken such an interest, and um, I, I certainly would be honored to be here again. And um, we've always had a very positive relationship, and I like that. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, I think we've always been straight and everything. It's, uh, I think you, you like me. I, 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 I hate liars, and I, I think you, you feel the same way about it as well. You know. Oh, uh, you and I covered that before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, I mean, let's, let's go back into let's, let's have a little bit about your early years, Ed. Did you have any um, like childhood experiences before we go into? Uh, you know, you've come back again to Rendlesham a bit later. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I, um, sure, I'll, I'll be glad to share it. I don't really advertise it, and one of my articles, a little bit of what I've experienced, will be in there. Um, around, uh, of course, I mentioned the event in 1967 um, near Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, the craft that I saw was over Dobbins Air Force Base uh, in that region, and it came from actually the direction of the moon. It just came in. That, that was my interpretation at the time. But the more that I recount this event, it came in most deliberately. I couldn't really tell you how large it was, but it was significant. Uh, did it, and did it you get a color for it or a sound or anything? Yes, uh, no sound at all. And it was uh, glowing white. Right. It was, uh, yeah, it just, I've seen orange uh, later on. Yeah, orange, uh, yeah, orange I can relate to because that's what I saw. Yes, uh, I've seen that. Um, uh, on one occasion that actually apparently landed and then took off. And there was a whoosh, and that was about all I saw. But this other craft made numerous zigzags uh, in the air. I just got my gut feeling maybe it came in to as low as maybe 5,000 feet or so. Uh, but that's about as close to me as it got. Uh, but its intelligent movements were, were what was so fascinating that the number of zigzags it made before it went right back out into space from directly from where it came. Um, and it was about five to eight seconds, and, well, it's just not something one can unsee once they've yeah, sure. seen it. And uh, later on, with two of my friends in high school, we were wrestling buddies and track buddies, and <clears throat> we were out just um, driving around one night in these um, kind of paranormal uh, areas where there had been like this doctor who apparently was a murder-suicide and his mansion burned down to the ground, and we drove uh, as near to that as we could. And that's when we saw this orange glow, and then it just went whoosh like that. It was gone. And uh, we just looked at each other, you know, in amazement going, okay, you can't unsee that either. <laughs> and then <laughs> later on, I'd say around 1990, I saw more of a metallic type of um Round object or elliptical, uh, in, in near Modesto, California. And it was pretty well up there, probably 10, 15,000 feet. And it was hovering. <laughs> and then it just went like it disappeared. So that's all I can say about that. And, uh, then there was a time around 1986 in the LA area that I saw a being that, and this was, Long before, I guess one would say men in black, uh, it was this being was standing on a street corner about seven feet tall, dressed in a suit and a hat. And the construction of the person told me that it just wasn't like a normal human. And so the nearer I got to it, the more I hit my horn and said, I can see you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then that's when I felt the telepathy kind of come in. <laughs> you know, and it was like this. Uh, I just remember, look, I don't want anything to happen, but if you keep making all that racket, something is going to happen. Right. <laughs> and so I, I kind of felt like Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse. I just started whistling and drove by without making a sound. And that's how taken I was. And it, it was an uncomfortable feeling, but it was a demonstrative feeling. And uh, I, I uh, outside of other paranormal events in life, uh, you know, I, it's one of my more notables. So that those are my events. And um, do you feel that's a common thing with that they're walking amongst Christmas, you know, for want of a better term? I believe certainly that they've been walking anywhere they want around us for a long time. Um, in my other research and not not religious studies i'm you know as we discussed i'm not religious but i do have extreme faith and mm. we've been visited for so long in so many different written uh formats uh, you know from all around the world uh that to me i i personally my own deep logical feeling is how can anybody deny the existence that we are not alone in the universe. And I really do think that life is teeming out here. And we're the newest kids on the block, and probably we're a lot more dangerous to them than they are to us. Um, I'm sure there are races that may not like us very much, and there are other races that have been protecting us. Mm. So, Do you feel that's why they pay us such a lot of attention, because of you know, how dangerous we may be? <clears throat> well, in, in certain ways, I mean, they certainly didn't like the nuclear age that, uh, was ushered in in 1945, mm. uh, but they've been interested in. I feel like it's almost like a non-interference interference, interference uh, treatise among the planets or the other beings involved. Um, I think there are multiple divisions uh, dimensions. I'm sorry, uh, that in the fabric too. Mm. I also believe that time travel uh, can be accomplished uh, both forward and backwards. We just don't know how yet. Mm. Um, I believe that, yes, we're visited interdimensionally. Um, another friend of mine um, uh, has, who's a physicist, and um, he's part of the Marriott family, and his, and his name is Ron, and he's a great guy. And he discovered, uh, you know, antimatter above storm cells. So there, there's so much that we have touched on, but there's so little we really know. And to me, I feel very comfortable in just saying, look, Deal with the facts. Deal with what's in front of you. Don't make something out of nothing. Just read it. Do your research. Do your homework. And don't spout off on things you don't know anything about. Yeah, it kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's the <laughs> I mean, when you mentioned uh, time travel, that, I mean, there's a theory that the whatever it was that landed in uh, Randall Forest could have actually been us from the future. And I think that's kind of uh, Jim Penniston's um, thoughts on it, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, it, it very well could be. I I don't know, and I mean, <clears throat> I, I really appreciate the fact that he went public uh, about his experiences, as well as did John Burroughs um, and a few others. Um, I've re read a little bit for some good authors uh, over in that period of time. Um, <clears throat> it very well could be inter interdimensional. It certainly wasn't a lighthouse or campfires or dogs connected to chairs yeah, yeah. or 
other things that, that uh, John and Dermot mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is what, what Chuck and I would we, laugh about that because, um, I mean, UFOs would have been reported all the time, wouldn't they, if it was a lighthouse? I mean, they would have been all over the, you know, it would have been every night, wouldn't it? <laughs> David, that's a good point. I have yet to talk to uh, Charles Halt, but I would like to in the, in the future if there's all possible, um, because I, I'd love to hear what he has to say. But I, I would agree. I mean, I've been there at night, in the dead of night. I uh, John took me around pretty much everything to Southgate, Utley Gate, uh, <clears throat> Orford, uh, uh, and the other coastal towns nearby. Uh, matter of fact, our first trip, we spent 10 hours in one day nonstop. We didn't even stop for anything to eat or drink, and I offered a number of times. Mm. Uh, and I had a friend of my father-in-law who went with us and talked. I think that's the closest thing to flying saucers I saw were his eyes as he listened to John and I talk. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know if you know, but that lighthouse is gone now. It's been pulled down. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had to get a little bit of water. I apologize. That's right. Yes, I saw that uh, when it went down. I, I read about it. And uh, one of my other little fun parts are the <clears throat> types of windmills that you have in the areas um there was one that i have yet to write about but uh it's a it's the horsey uh windmill uh i was there when that was being reconstructed some of the history in england i'm still i mean i just am enamored with the history that's in england but uh back to the <clears throat> the Brindlesham uh situation um john and i uh, with dermot conducted a, that was an hour and 12 minute interview. Uh, as a matter of fact, Dermot lives in uh, Nottingham and uh, leaving Alton Broad area to go to Nottingham is quite a long journey. Yeah, so we, we, we met at a lay-by restaurant. Especially on these British roads. <laughs> yes. Oh, the highways were excellent. Um, some of the British roads I've traveled, I used to drive in England <clears throat> and my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, she said, oh, you're such a good driver. <laughs> I said, all I'm doing is thinking left, and if I can do that, I can drive. Um, except when I got into London, that just about messed me up for life. Uh, so, um, but no, the highways going up and back, we stopped at what they called was an American type of restaurant. So we had Coca-Cola and burgers and fries, and then we conducted the interview um, outside. And uh, really, some of the things that that were discussed, and we're talking about showers and sparks, fast-moving jets from the coast, etc. Um, and people they, uh, you know, had met and known from like special services, uh, etc. They, um, one of the renditions from the interview that I'm transcribing in the book, and well, it's transcribed. It's just that I'm always looking to make sure I correct any errors that I make because I want it to be. Exactly mm. what was told to me, not not anything fabricated or accidentally uh, construed or interpreted that may not have been on on task. Yeah. Uh, at one point, they were all out sky watching and they saw a, a you know elliptical type of white craft that suddenly turned crimson and then shot off into the sky. Um, you know, and they they kind of called it like an elongated rugby ball. But that was kind of similar to some of the events reported in Rindlesham originally. And this was in, uh, you know, I believe 1995 or 7. And um, without going into, you know, my extensive 
notes I took. But they did notice that it too would be, you know, a craft that they couldn't explain. It certainly didn't, didn't have the nav lights that jets have, et cetera. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they saw it zigzagging all around. And so, um, then they saw sometimes there were jets involved. Um, and finally when the jets approached this craft, this one time, they all saw it just disappear off into the clouds very rapidly. So, um, and the witnesses they gave a lot of detail for, um, were very interesting as well that over near fire track 10, and of course the end of the runway with runway lights at, um, uh, the end of, uh, Woodbridge air, you know, their, uh, airway. And, uh, runway, sorry, and near Folly Cottage, we call oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where some people said, you know, some detractors would say it was a, you know, training for Apollo uh, uh, recoveries in, in the North Sea with uh, helicopters. But uh, some things just didn't add up. And I've been, like you, David, I've been everywhere in, I've hiked all through the forest and to the coast and over to Cape Green, et cetera. <clears throat> But um, this one case, the first one he was talking about, they did notice that, again, they they wanted to expound on the fact, they don't know what it was, but it definitely wasn't one of ours. When the jets got close to it, it you know, it went, it took off. And uh, then that particular night, they were worried about a storm coming in. But uh, the, subsequently, when the craft and the jets and everything else were making their moves, they would hear, like, large Flash booms. Um, so, um, it really, I, you know, I, the more I went over this again and again, and the more of what their stories have, uh, their, not renditions, but exactly what they've told me mm. has never varied from one fact to the other over the last five years. Right. Now, do you feel that some of the stories by some of the prime witnesses have altered over the years? Or, or do you think it's kind of been a lack of memory? You know, because over 40 years, the old memories change and um, false memories can occur as well. Well, to, to be perfectly honest, we are all human um, that are reporting all this. And to be human is to err. <clears throat> so we can all make mistakes. However... I I would consider there had been some embellishments, but also well, I think a lot of it does have to be, David, um, inclusive of how good one's memory is over time. So that which was written initially and, um, you know, put to print early on is probably more uh, apt to being accurate than those who, you know, witnessed events but never really wrote anything down for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, apparently, only we can sort of refer to Jim Peniston at, at that point because he had his notebook. So he written, he, he says he, he wrote down a lot of uh, coordinates and um, and took a lot of notes. As he said, it was his normal thing to do. So I, I guess we can go a lot on Jim Peniston's notes in that instance. And I think probably from Colonel Holt's point of view as well, because he wrote the, the, the memo and everything, I'm sure he must have written some other notes yes. out as well, you know. It's not, oh it's, no, they did, and I, yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. No, yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> I was just going to say that well, it, it, it would be a normal thing to do, wouldn't it? Even if it's just for himself. Absolutely, and I I believe that, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel at the time, now Colonel Charles Halt, retired, uh, was being uh, transparent to the best of his ability, and from what I've read and, and what he has stated, 
I don't think he would have any other agenda, um, you know, in that regard. Um, so, no, I don't um, believe so. I mean, I, I don't believe his story's changed over the years that much. He's even admitted to me. He says, he said his recollections of the exact night were 40 years ago. So, it, it, you know, your memories do fade. And uh, there's been sort of like even, um, you know, the actual landing sites and everything seem to have changed a little bit. I mean, we've actually got a, a, a monument in the woods, which is not where the landing site was. Yeah. Oh, correct. <laughs> you know, and then there's been a little bit of an anomaly where, well, that's not where you told me it landed before, that type of thing, you know. So, the, the, I, I mean, and you got also so remembered. I mean, this all happened in the dead of night, and trying to, yes. I mean, you know what it's like in the woods in the night. I mean, to try and remember exactly where you walked, I would have thought, yeah, and it, you know, to an exact spot in the woods to find it again, I thought, I think, would be very difficult anyway. I think there's another factor that we could um, take a look at, David. Um, <clears throat> that would be that some things that we initially saw, like, say, my first experience, like what uh, Charles Halt saw, what uh, Jim Penniston uh, experienced, what John Burroughs saw, um, I think in some cases, as the years pass, we actually recall it more clearly. Mm. Uh much than the opposite, um, because it had such an effect on us. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's like some of our friends uh, um, that that are hypnotists and all. You may not know until you actually have undergone a form of hypnotism. But some things may be uh, hidden from your conscious uh, memory until even years later. And then, it, bam, it hits you straight away. I've had that happen with some of the case studies where, you know, they said, well, no, this is what I remember clear as day now. And then it would take me a few more months just to cross-reference and to verify that there were no uh, disparities in the report. Yeah. I mean, the way I was kind of thinking of it, I mean, I, I don't know if, you've ever, if it's ever happened to you, but I've thought about places where I've been, and I've not been there for many years, and you, you build up a picture of something in your mind, and then you go there, and it's not how you remember it, you know. That's kind of where I was thinking. And you think, well, that's not really how I remembered it at all, you know. Well, I would agree. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's not just as we grew up. Like, when we revisit a place where we were kids, uh, the houses tended to get smaller and the trees got bigger, yeah, right? Yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, the the... Accountings, and, and I, uh, if I may, I can go into a little bit more of some of these witnesses' sure. accounts. Okay. Uh, further on, during our interview with uh, John and Dermot, I mean, there was uh, the next uh, that there was a gentleman they knew called, his nickname was Pegleg, and he was actually a, um, a veteran of the uh, Gulf War in Iraq and had lost his leg. So these sky watchers and others, they would be in different locations but they would see much the same thing. And uh, Pegleg's recounting of what they saw with apparently some sort of engagement between jets and this other uh, craft in the air, uh, where they saw actually like white flashes of you know lights heading into the sky, which uh, Pegleg would say that looks just like, you know, missiles that were flying around in Baghdad. Mm. And they, but they had a hard time explaining the amber beams that were coming back down 
and then suddenly there would be like, you know, large sparks and, you know, like a corona of, of a, a type of uh, flash boom explosion that was happening. And uh, there were over 14 people that witnessed all this. Uh, one case in particular, when John was going back to his car near um, uh, the BT area, British Telecom, um, not the main building, but it was another location just outside of Bent Waters. It's Marshall, show me that the way. Yes, exactly. And he saw a, a creature there. Uh, well, he didn't, but others said, John, did you see what just passed behind your car? And they had noted that there was an odd kind of chemical type of smell that was almost like, uh, to lack of better words to say, strawberry candy floss. And the ones who saw at different locations uh, in the area actually witnessed and stated the same type of being as being more like a praying mantis type of being mm. around three or four feet tall. And that was not once, but uh, two different locations. And one, uh, two, you know, uh, being near Firetrap 10. I did. Uh, so, a little shiver went down my spine when you said that because I've heard that description myself. <laughs> well, the shiver was well taken, uh, David, because when Dermot, uh, as I was using my, you know, tablet to uh, conduct the audio interview, he, his hair stood up on his arms. <clears throat> and uh, this gentleman has been a very dear friend of John's for years and years there, just like brothers in arms. And had been interviewed by newspapers in the past. Uh, he, you can see how frightened he was years later by recounting this event. Mm. And uh, it was one night where he saw a being that was almost like, um, one would say like a two-dimensional etch of an upside-down triangle with like dangling arms at each edge of the triangle with scurrying little legs. It'd be, you know, like something uh, that he reported very similar to those who know about the Popeye comic and the uh, Popeye uh, uh, video series in the late 50s, early 60s. Should we admit and that? Was, no, I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it, it, one of the characters in it was known as Alice the Goon, and she was a tall, lanky figure. And that's what Dermot said this creature looked like. And he had about a 30-mile trip to go home, and he decided um, John's flat is just up the road, and he came and drove right back to where John was living. <clears throat> um, in the Reynoldsham area, and I've, I've seen his flat. I saw the apartment where he lived. Uh, and uh, when John had already gone to sleep, and you know Dermot starts knocking on the door as hard as he could, let me in, let me in, and he was white as a ghost. And so he, you know, told John what he had experienced. Uh, he was in his automobile and was seeing this creature through the mirrors, all three mirrors. And so at one point he tried to turn the vehicle around with his high beams and the creature was gone. Um, since that time, we've kind of thought maybe that was one of the interdimensional experiences. But that shiver you felt, that's what we all felt. Mm. And when that will also be an audio and, and we're going to try to in the future tie that into a video uh, rendition with uh, backup pictures. And um, they even spoke of a certain light. It was like a security light, um, and I've been there. It's a little bit off, you know, the grassy area of the corner of the road, but they would even bring family members and others that every time Dermot and John would drive by this light, it would turn off. Hmm. Now, I guess you'd call that a little bit paranormal, but it happened a number of times. Um, I didn't see it go on and off. It was off 
because we were there during the day, uh, and we were running uh, GPS measurements. That's one of the things that we hope is really going to be helpful in the book, that we're doing our best to verify and triangulate from where these craft came and to where they were going. And um, <clears throat> the experiences are, uh, without the time that we have here today, I will guarantee you there are more events um, that they encountered that were uh, extraordinary, in my personal opinion. But the, the fact that they also noted um, there was, uh, Dermot really thought it was kind of a foodie smell, but maybe more like burnt toast. But then later he noticed that strange uh, candy floss um, type of um, what we would call cotton candy in America. Mm. Uh, mm. He, and then there was a gentleman, I believe, named uh, Richard uh, Conway, and mentioned about a... Um, a Scottish person who had, you know, had an experience and it was in a UFO, uh, magazine from Scotland and he had the exact same experience with the same type of strawberry candy floss smell. And we found that to be, uh, you know, quite, um, interesting to be so many miles away and then, you know, having the same type of thing happen. Um, so um, there were more experiences that uh, were reported by, um, you know, each of these sky watchers. And I just want to carry on one thing. Uh, Dermot Coran is 6'3", and he is uh, a professional in law enforcement. And I will tell you, he's not a small guy. <laughs> and when I saw the hair stand up on his forearms, I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, I, you, you can't make that stuff up, David. Yeah, no, I agree. Hmm. So, uh, well, moving along, I, you know, we, we thought, um, you know, we also, you know, they called some of the event that Dermot had with this kind of two dimensional being was almost like, also kind of like something of special effects out of Ghostbusters. But, uh, it, it really, it frightened him terribly. And, um, had it not been for during the interview that I'd seen his, galvanic responses or galvanic responses, um, I would have said, okay, I'll accept it, uh, and how can we verify, but I got to see it and experience it. So uh, those things are just some of the events that occurred over the years. I, I'll go back to with, um, I forget uh, his last name, but part of John's friends, they're all uh, together in, in social activities. And when I had the interview with Derek, and unfortunately the audio of it, uh, the video was great, but the audio was a little bit on the windy uh, side, so it's not the best quality, but uh, we uh, he gave an excellent interview of the craft we saw from across the broads, and I'm not far from Ipswich, um, but it was another area that had railroad tracks, etc., that were looking really interesting. Um, he pointed to the sky where he saw this large craft. He said it was definitely large. And it was a glowing white craft, too. And it was, like, slowly moving as he looked over the water. And it was getting to be about time to go home. As he watched the craft, it suddenly just shot off within a second. And we considered the best analogy we could give was somewhere between zero to 5,000 miles per hour in less than a second. And uh, it whooshed and disappeared over 
the tree line in the opposite direction. And we triangulated, uh, triangulated that as well with G- GPS and, uh, we had some very interesting results that, that will be in the book. So, um, the next, uh, event, I actually interviewed another witness friend, uh, of John's, Gordy Gujar, very down to earth fellow. Yeah, I know Gordy. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, great guy. And, uh, I, um, had a chance to interview with him as well right there at the, parking facility that they now have at Renzo's, uh, you know, just at the corner of uh, Woodbridge uh, Air, Air uh, the runway. Yeah. Uh, just across the street from Firetrap 10 if you walk down towards Capel Green. So Gordy had some good experiences to explain, too, and some of the places that John took me where events occurred from World War II all the way to later times uh, were just um, just incredible. I mean, I, I I was truly uh moved. <laughs> so uh since that time we have developed everything and nailed it down so to speak and when it comes out I certainly will let you know firsthand and um I would say that uh, uh one of my more moving interviews too was with Peter Wanow with his son and daughter. His daughter has already given another testimonial of what she observed and when they observed that triangle craft and it had like a yellowish light at the bottom in the center <clears throat> and it didn't have any nav lights on it but it hovered over this fallow field for over 10 minutes they just stopped the car and watched it mm. and then suddenly it went whoosh without a sound it flew right overhead and disappeared off into the z- distance um, and that was about a 10 minute interview so or 15 minutes to be exact um, those were parts of the interviews that uh, we conducted, especially in 2019. Um, I'm always going to be interested in it uh, every time I go back to England. Um, I find it um, actually, in some ways, I find it even more amazing than Roswell, um, where they had the suspected uh, craft that uh, crashed in uh, July of 1947. Mm. I think probably because we're closer to it, aren't we? Because in age-wise, I mean, we, we've been around um, in the time when it happened. Probably with Roswell, it's kind of a little bit historical, and uh, we weren't around at that time. Well, I wasn't anyway. <laughs> well, that, that's very true, but uh, like I, I agree, I've the friends that I've had, that um, a good friend of mine, Norio Hayakawa, who's written extensively and Probably in the 1990s, I'm sure you've heard of him. He was one of the best ufologists out there. Mm. And he's, uh, uh, he contributes to uh, the groups in Facebook too on Universal Digest, and I'm very blessed. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think uh, Donald so, Smith just uh, that, got a new book out about um, Roswell, hasn't he, I believe? I believe so. I, I can't be um, quoted on that. I, I think I saw I it earlier that uh, or someone put it up on Facebook. I'm pretty sure Don Smith, I think it's written with somebody else as well. Can't, I'll have to have a little look into that. But, um, well, I, I've also listened to um, uh, Jesse Marcel, who's the grandson mm-hmm. uh, of the original, and uh, he's carried on a good family tradition based on facts and what he learned, um, you know, notwithstanding what uh, Jesse's son learned, and so it's uh, very interesting. But bottom line is, David, uh, we're not alone. I mean, oh, absolutely. to think that. And the bad news is, that, holy, uh, tell me if you agree or disagree, but I still think fifty percent of the people would freak out if they 
were given disclosure up front and personal. Yeah, I'm a bit, um, I don't know. I, I think if, the, I think you can only judge yourself by that. I mean, I know I wouldn't freak out. I think I'd be amazed if they actually come out and admitted it. <laughs> you know, said that we, although, <laughs> although in a way though, Dad, you might see if you agree with me. I think they have actually released a lot of information and it's buried there. If you find, if you look for it, and, uh, you know, in amongst those thousands and thousands of pages they've released, uh, a lot of information is there. Oh, well, a lot has definitely been uh, declassified, and I uh, did a lot, uh, some writing um, regarding Nick Pope and Peter Robbins since the time, and uh, a lot of the work that Nick did um, uh, with the MOD, and, um, you know, there's a lot that has been released, um here in the States, you had, um, I believe, uh, Harry Reid, one of the senators, is very much uh, involved in disclosure. I've uh, met uh, on social media with uh, Steve Batson, Bassett, and I, um, I, I think very positively of him as well, mm-hmm. um, that uh, Bigelow Airspace in Las Vegas um, with Robert Bigelow, uh, that happened with Lou Elizondo and others. There's been a lot that has been uh, reported, you know, both in video and audio since that time. Uh, how well is it being received by most people? I I hate to sound this way, but I still think, although there's so many of us out there, there's so many people that don't really care to be bothered with it. No, I agree with you in some ways, I think. But if it was actually, you know, if it suddenly became headline news that there are aliens, they are visiting us, I don't think it would bother that many people, to be honest. They might turn around and think, oh, so there are aliens after all. Yeah, I think, I don't think it would, I don't think people would be running in fear, like, um, like we were supposed to be. Oh, we're all going to die. And, you know, I don't think it would happen that way. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't either. I mean, well, to me, the human condition is like this, and that I've written about extensively, is give it about two weeks. Okay, here are the facts. Here are our friends from, you know, Epsilon or India or wherever, whether they're Greys or Nordics or whomever, or the, who expound on how many different races there are among us. Um, here are the facts. This is what we are. Two weeks later, people will be going right back to what oh, they were yeah, doing before. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, TV, six pack, and okay, hey, we know we're not alone. Yeah. Sounds good. It, okay, I gotta go. It would no longer be science fiction, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and still, it's for science fiction, but uh, science fact is normally what science fiction turns into. Absolutely, it? yeah. I mean, I still wonder if it will ever happen. I mean, what's your opinion? Do you think it'll ever? You know, they'll ever actually come out and say anything? I don't, really. I mean, I, I, um, I, I, that's a great question, David. Uh, firmly, I, I, my answers recently and even more recently to those, I said it's already happened. Hmm. It's already been reported, witnessed for hundreds and thousands of years. It's right there in front of us. Do a little bit of reading, do a little bit of homework, and you'll find that what I'm saying is true. Yeah, I think that's and like, that's how I'm. Approaching. It's like seek and you shall find type of thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And even when we mentioned, uh, you know, Albert Einstein did prove that uh, time is mutable and space and time. So at least that's a start. Um, my latest uh, feeling, and I'll share it here for the public, is that I believe that time travel, both forward and backward, is as real as it can be. And for that matter, I think for the most part, we are 
saved because of it, because who would want to destroy time and space? Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's one the corner for you. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing about time travel gets me is, um, but if you actually go back in time, you're changing time straight away just by going back there. <laughs> you know, there's all these different viewpoints. Uh, I've been, I have a good book about the physics of it and the Alcubierre model, um, of that scientist that has shown now that we can, and in my studies, we already have the ability to have faster than light travel. Uh, the unfortunate part is we do not have a vessel that is capable of withstanding the stress of mm. that's that's where we are now. Um, and the Alcabir model shows that we can technically travel forward in time. Uh, you know, even army experiments in the past with missiles with clots on them, etc., shows a dilation of time uh, related to the speed that a, an object travels. Sure, yeah. They've also verified that uh, with uh, experimentation with um, the um, space station itself, yeah. with NASA. So yeah, with space travel <laughs> itself, they've come back with the, the time has altered, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I agree. So yeah, I think as time passes, uh, in some, David, I believe that uh, we will learn, we'll continue to learn more. Uh, everything is going to be fine. There's always um, cyclic uh, situations that occur in civilization. Some may not be very good. Some will be. Uh, we need to look at the history of the planet Earth that we live. And um, to me, climates are cyclic. And to think that we humans can actually change Earth uh, right now, I'd say, is really not totally true. Mm. I mean, we, we certainly need some uh, good news, I think, on this planet, <laughs> the way things are going. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> well, David, uh, I, I just I can't say enough that, yes, Rindlesham has been now a lifelong favorite uh, for me, and uh, it's real as rain. There have been a lot of good writings uh, conducted, a lot of good witness accounts. Um, there have been in some, some of the changes uh, over the years of where we thought something was when it's not. Mm. But, uh, you know, I saw the, what do you call it in England, the, the fire conservatory or conservation group that made those, uh, monuments, right? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, uh, forestry commission. Is that, is that what you mean? <laughs> yes, thank you, forestry commission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was, uh, I, I can't think what the price of it was. Was it, uh, 150,000 pounds or something? I'm not quite, I'm not, that was a, just a grab out of the air, but I'm not quite sure how much it did cost. But uh, they raised the money for it. But uh, unfortunately, um, like you do with these things, people climb all over it and write all over it and scratch it, and you know, they just get ru- they just get ruined, don't they? They should have really fixed it off or something. I couldn't agree more. I saw it personally myself, and I saw <clears throat> where they were really trying hard to keep things pristine. But especially that that facsimile of the craft. Hmm. <laughs> Some of the most amazing stuff on the sides of that crowd. Yeah. Okay, well, that, that's where I'd, I'd stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, it's an unfortunate thing because it was nice when it first was put there, you know. But uh, I think they're, they're fighting a losing battle trying to keep it clean and painted and everything. Uh, but there you go. But then again, as we said, it's been put in the, not where the occurrence happened anyway, the landing happened. I think they've just found like a, 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 a convenient hill and just put it on it <laughs> kind of thing. Well, well, what can I say? I, I was a spectator then, and 
I guess I am after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully you'll come back to England again when we can all travel again sometime. And uh, it'll be well, great to meet up and we can all go for a, for a trip up to Rendlesham. Well, David, I would really, um, I would really look forward to that. I don't think this is a good year, but. Well, hopefully you never know. Year. Yeah, hopefully 20, was it, what's it now? Oh, 2022, maybe? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm aiming for, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to get Colonel Holt back that's over that's again at some point, uh, if he's willing to come, and if he's uh, well enough to come. Obviously, he, I mean, he's, he's 18, uh, 81 now this year, so oh, does yeah. he really want to keep travelling? I don't know. I mean, when he when he came back last time, um, you, you, you know, you kind of think, oh, maybe this is the last time he'll come or want to come, you know. It's um, well, I, it's just one of those things. We're all getting older, and you know, there comes a time when you think, oh, I just don't want to do that traveling anymore. Well, that too, with uh, when you drop something, and when you were younger, you just bent over and picked it up, and now we kind of look at it for a little yeah. while and saying, is it really worth the trouble? Yeah, I know that fairly well over the last couple of weeks, I'll tell you. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, Ed, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Um, as I said, I hope you'll come back on again and tell us, because we've obviously got many more subjects we could cover. Uh, Rendlesham is just a very small part of your repertoire, although it's a very important one. Um, and, and I should certainly look forward to the book. When it comes well, out. Certainly. The, uh, thank you so much, David. And um, I really look forward to coming back on your show. Um, also, meeting you in person finally. Um, all things are possible. Uh, who knows what tomorrow brings? But um, it certainly has been a pleasure to be on here. As soon as the Universal Digest Anthology is published, I will uh, let you know immediately. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's been five years in the making. <laughs> And, yeah. Um, well, it's been a late love, I'll tell well, you. Well, you'll have to come over and sign my copy for me anyway, so. <laughs> Absolutely, David. Well, thank you so much for having me on the no, show. No, it's been great, Ed. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a great pleasure talking to you, and um, we're not, yeah, you know, we're, we're friends and we're, we're not strangers anymore. So, That's so please stay in touch, and um, you know, you know, hopefully we'll get to meet sometime. And uh, we'll, but we'll, I'll certainly invite you back on the show again. Yeah, great. But, uh, well, David, you've you've been a good uh, friend for the years that we've um, gone through a little bit together, and I've really appreciated your countenance, your transparency, and your friendship. Thank you very much. It's mutual respect, I think, is the words we're looking for. <laughs> and it's always worth. But yes, you've definitely. I respect you very much. And you, you, I do too. Thank you, Ed. Anyway, then, I'll let you go, because it's, uh, was it um, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, half past one, for you? Yes, it's uh, pretty much the middle of the day. It's a sunlit day and a little bit on the cool side. And uh, I do uh, continue on with the projects. And I think, you know, you and I both say it in some ways, shape, or form. We do have a life, so we will continue on with <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's <laughs> creeping towards my bedtime. It's 20 to 10 here now, so... Uh, that's right. Oh, uh, certainly let you go, my oh, friend. You too. You take care of yourself, Ed, and thanks again. Cheers. Thank you. Bye bye. Right, you've been listening to Paranormal Dimensions. I'm David Young on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. I hope you enjoyed that. I did. Thank you, and hope to hear you again. See you again next week. Bye bye. Paranormal Dimensions is as bright and powerful as our celestial star, the Sun. And although it's expending thousands of pounds of energy every minute of the day, have no fear. There's plenty left.
Paranormal Dimensions is a regular feature on Mondays on the Paranormal UK radio network. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.